Welcome to the Mosaic Church Podcast, where we share with you the message of hope and love that lies at the core of the Christian faith. Our weekly sermons delve into the teachings of the Bible and how they can impact our daily lives, inspiring us to journey together towards a deeper understanding of God's infinite love. Join our community of believers as we embrace the power of faith and embark on a transformative spiritual journey. Mosaic Church in Mableton, Georgia exists to lead people to an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ to help them change the world. Now, please enjoy this message from Pastor Broderick Santiago, lead pastor of Mosaic Church. We must face the sad fact that at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning when we stand to sing, in Christ there is no east and west, we stand in the most segregated hour in America. That quote came from the great Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and is the basis of what we'll talk about today as we close this series on the modern family. Today we'll talk about the modern church family And what I think it ought to look like and what I think it should look like according to what Jesus said and according to what the Bible says. And so our talk today will be just about that. If this is your first time here with us, we want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Broderick Santiago, and I am the lead pastor of this church. I am the percussionist of this church. I do several things. I'm the janitor when we need one. I'm the beatboxer in case I can't drum. I do everything we need to do, but we welcome you. On behalf of our Mosaic team, uh, I want to thank the, the crew over here on the soundboard. We flew a brother all the way in from L.A. to be with us today, helping us work this machine that we've had for some time but did not know how to use. And so we're blessed to have you, Brother Doug. Thank you so much for being here with us and offering your gift and your talent. Hopefully he comes back and calls Atlanta his home. We're going to pray hard about that, that God resources you in such a way that you can be here permanently I just got something in my feeling that tells me that God is going to do some magnificent things for you on this side of America. Amen. Uh, I thank all of you who have traveled to be with us today. It's such an honor to see you. Some of my good friends are here who were former residents of Atlanta, but they've decided to go up to where it's cold at, but there's a lot of lakes. And so our good friends, the Ayers family, are here with us today all the way from Minnesota visiting. Thank you. And then our other friends... Uh, on the other side of Atlanta, almost by South Carolina, I'm just playing, <laughs> out there in Conyers, my good friends, the Johnson family, they're here with us. Hallelujah. Thank you. It's always good to see you. Y'all keep your ears and eyes posted if you have any people on the East Coast uh, of town here. I'm sure within the next year or two, this brother's going to plant a wonderful, life-giving church uh, on that side of town because they certainly need it. Amen. Amen. And I'm always glad to see all of you. My, my, my great, great friend, uh, I have a Latin jazz band in case some of you don't know. And because of local radio stations, we became known. And the name of my band is Rio Negro. But if it wasn't for this man, we call him Captain Mello, uh, the hottest jazz DJ here in Atlanta on WRFG 89.3. He is here in the building. So good to see you, Doc. So good to see you, man. Wow. Bless you all. Bless you all. Listen, if you are taking notes today, you're going to take just a few, but there's some important things I want to get across. I shared that, 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 that quote from Dr. King because it really, really 
irks me that we don't make diversity a priority in church. I spoke with a brother some, some time ago, earlier this year, and we were having a conversation. And we were talking about church, and the conversation was about diversity in the church. And, and, and basically what he said to me, in essence, was, you know, I think it's not as important to focus on diversity as it is important to focus on uh, saving lives or reconciling people back to Christ. And I said to the brother, I said, brother, I respectfully disagree with you because if I read scripture and believe it, Jesus was intentional, not only about reaching people and, and, and offering grace and mercy, but the, he was intentional about the people he reached. He went after people who were not Jewish. That tells me very much that diversity was a priority to him. So when my brother tells me, nah, we should just focus on saving lives and introducing lost people, I says, well, that's what Jesus did, but he went after a specific type of lost people. He traveled, if we read the Bible and understand it, he traveled to a place that most Jews didn't go when he cut through Samaria. He was intentional about reaching people that did not look or believe certain things that he believed. And so I tell my brother, I says, how can you not make that a priority? I think if you don't make it a priority, then it's not biblical to not make it a priority to be diverse. As I look across this room, my brother, this room, my brothers and sisters, I see diversity. I think we're very diverse. We're diverse when it comes to social economics. I know some people in here that are retired. I know some people in here that, that, that just graduated college. I know some people in here that have a master's and a, a bachelor's. I know some people here that are PhD candidates right now. We're diverse social economically, educationally. I know some people that make six figures, and I know some of us that just make a figure. Huh? I'm just telling the truth. We're diverse as I look across this room. We're diverse culturally. I got people here from, from, from that are African-American. I got people here from the Caribbean. I've got people here that are, that are African-American. I have people here that are white American. We're diverse if I look across this room. But I think that the church has failed in focusing on the importance of diversity. The world understands it. How do I know? We've amalgamated our social selves. We've amalgamated our music, the hip hop. It's, it's all mixed up. We go to schools. We, we sit next to, I mean, I think Dr. King came a long way when he said this and he had a dream. We, we can go to the same schools. We can go to, to, to the same movies. Our coworkers are all different shades. But when it comes to church at 11 o'clock, we still are segregated. We still are segregated. And I firmly believe in my heart of hearts, and I'm not an expert. This is just me. This is what I believe. I believe that Jesus is not pleased. I believe that in my heart of hearts, he is not pleased. Corporate America even gets it. A good friend of mine, Scott Williams, wrote a book called The Diversity the diverse church book is what it's called. And in chapter five, he talks about how corporate America, the chapter is even entitled, Corporate America Cares, but not the church. 
Corporate America sends people through diversity training. It's that important to corporate America, but the church, we ignore it. We come every Sunday morning and stand behind our pulpits and select our songs based upon the people that will be in attendance. I'm going to focus on CCM, contemporary Christian music. We're going to do just Hillsong. That's in certain churches. And then you go to another church. We're only going to do Kirk Franklin and uh, John P. Key based upon the people that are in our current attendance. We put no effort or no work into trying to attract other people. As a matter of fact, when we extend invitations half of the time, it's the people that look and sound just like us. I think that we've done a great disservice to the church. But here's the good news. I firmly believe that the church is indeed the hope of the world. And if I believe that, and if you believe that the church is indeed the hope of the world, the change for diversity has to start or happen in the church. It has to start or happen in the church. So let me share with you some things that I believe. First thing I want to share with you is the mission of Mosaic Church. The mission of Mosaic Church is to reach, teach, serve, and love people where they are, how they are, and this is my favorite part, regardless of who they are, with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Why? So that they may become devoted followers of Christ, regardless of who they are, racially, culturally, socioeconomically, sexually, regardless because if I believe Jesus, and, and, and when he says that I want you to go and baptize all the nations, and if I believe and take that charge serious, that means I need to be intentional about serving and reaching and teaching and loving people regardless of who they are. Not just their background, not just their history, but who they are. We need to focus more on really uh, serve, be intentional about serving people regardless of who they are. When you think about Mosaic, and I, I, I can't take credit for this, we had a meeting one day as we were transitioning from our former church to this new church, and we were trying to come up with a name, and we did like the name uh, uh, survey, if you all remember, if you were here, and, and, and one sister stepped up and said, what about Mosaic? And it's the sister back here, the birthday girl, as a matter of fact, who's a little bit salty with me. I love you, though. It's on the podcast, so people know you're salty with me. Anyway, it's the birthday girl. She came up with the name Mosaic, and it stuck. Why did it stick? Because it's everything that I imagine God would want this church to be. What is a mosaic? If you think about what a mosaic is, it's a piece of art. It's like broken pieces of glass of different textures, different colors, and whatnot. But you know what the most crazy thing about a mosaic is? It's the leftover stuff. It's the stuff that people didn't want that they use to make this mosaic. So in other words, it's a broken plate from a china set. So they take some pieces of that. It's a broken piece of tile. It, it was something that they threw away, but somebody says, let me take this and put it together to create this wonderful piece of art. And when I think about the church, the vision that God gave me, he gave me a vision for a church full of broken people that, that, that may have given up on church or church gave up on. 
When I think about mosaic, I think about people of different colors, different shapes, different sizes, different backgrounds, different stories. This is why mosaic sticks. This is why we are mosaic. We are God's greatest work of art. All diverse, all different shapes, all different stories, all different backgrounds, all different textures, a bunch of broken pieces brought together to create God's wonderful work, Mosaic Church. The church should have no barriers in regards to race, nationality, educational level, social standing, wealth, gender, or religious pedigree. Christ destroyed the barriers. As Christians, we should be building bridges and not walls. As Christians, we should be building bridges. We should be intentional about building bridges with people who don't live in our neighborhood or in some cases live in our neighborhood, but we skip their house because they don't look like us. They don't know what chicken uh, is supposed to be cooked with. Uh, they, don't, they don't eat like us. They don't listen to the same music. Some of us skip our neighbors because they don't look like us. Come on now. I'm preaching, I'm preaching louder than y'all talking back to me. <laughs> Why have we failed in this area of diversity as a church? Let me offer this. Because we didn't make it a priority. We don't make it a priority. We're so focused on great programs, picking out the perfect worship song based upon the people who currently attend that look a lot like me. We're so focused on, on, on small groups. We're so focused on script. We're so focused on all of this other stuff, but we're not focused on reaching people that Jesus will go after. I firmly believe if he was here today, and he is, but I firmly believe that he would skip people that look like him. How do I know that? Because Scripture tells me. Yeah, he ministered to Jews, but he skipped them. He went past them sometime. He invited Gentiles. He invited the, I mean, he went to Samaria. Jews skipped that intentionally. We're not going near there. To go through there would save them like a day's trip. To go around it, it was like an extra two or three day trip to go around Samaria. But they would take those extra couple days to avoid that place altogether because they thought the Samaritans were just half-breeds, nasty, terrible people. But Jesus not only went there, he was like, give me some of y'all Samaritan water. Let me have some of that water. He went there intentionally. And if you, case in case you don't know what I'm talking about, I'm speaking about the story of the woman at the well. As an example, Jesus made diversity a priority. How do I know? Watch this. How many of you have heard of the story of uh, the miracle of Jesus feeding 5,000? Huh? With, with, with five fish and two loaves. Y'all heard that, right? Well, the first time you hear it, uh, I'm going to use the Mark version because it's only recorded in two Gospels. That's in Matthew and Mark. But it, 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 I'm going to use the Mark version. The first time you hear it, Jesus is, is feeding a group of people over 5,000 plus, because it says only 5,000 men, but then there were women and children. And the reason it says that is because when they distributed the food, it was distributed to the head of the house, okay, which is the man. So they distributed food to 5,000 plus all their kids and the wife, okay? And so when he gave that first time, he did it because it happened twice. 
If you read your Bible, it happened twice. He did it first time, 5,000 people. The, the group that he was speaking to was primarily Jewish. He did it again in, 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 in Mark 6 as well uh, when, when, when he fed 4,000 plus people. And this group of people that he fed this time, guess who they were? Gentiles, not Jews. He, he made it a priority. The 4,000 plus he did it in the second time were Gentiles. That group was primarily Gentiles. He did not exclude them. It was important to include them. The disciples were like, yo, we need to send them off. We don't, we don't even have nothing to feed them with. And guess what? He did it with a little bit more bread, some smaller fish this time. And they sat there to receive all of that. And in the process, he healed people, the Gentiles. They were included. They were, it was inclusive. How do I know it was a priority? Because he did it. Jesus did it. Not only did he feed the Jews, he took care of the Gentiles. He intentionally, like I said earlier, he intentionally traveled through areas that were most, that most Jews avoided altogether. And then dig this. How do I know it's a priority? Because when he was resurrected in Matthew, he came back and he says, when, when he was resurrected, first thing he tells him, he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18 and 19, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go and baptize them. Therefore, go and make disciples of who? Just the Jews. Huh? Oh, all of us, right? That's everybody. Everybody. Huh? Everybody. And the same thing is to you all. Go and make disciples. To who? People that are black, like me. People that are white, like me. People that are Latino, like me. No, all nations. People that don't look like you. Start with them first. I know it's easier sometimes to minister to people because we got a certain language that we understand. We got a certain slang. I often talk about how uh, I like driving down Bankhead Highway during the summer times, especially because, you know, they're all out there. But I like to see the brothers, how they communicate. It's not just like, you know, hey, what's up, brother? It's like, hey, man, they slap and dap. And when somebody cracks a joke, it's not like, <laughs> it's like, oh, man, are oh, you crazy? I don't know what. There's a certain way we communicate. Am I right about it? So I understand it's, it's, it's easier to, to, to talk to a certain group, but step outside of your comfort zone. That's what Jesus taught his disciples. Step outside of what's familiar to you. That way you honor me. How do I know Jesus made diversity a priority? Well, after he was resurrected, he gave that what we call the great commission to his disciples. Then 40 days later, right before he ascends into heaven, he says this in Acts 1 and 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Watch this. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me. In other words, you should feel guilty if there's not change. You should feel like it's your fault because there's no change. Make it a personal responsibility. Today, I'm going to go out and evangelize to all people. If there's a language barrier, I'm just going to say Jesus. And I think we'll understand that together. The other thing you must do is build a personal relationship. You can't just go talking Jesus to somebody that, that, that you don't know well enough. And make an introduction. Let's hang out. Let's get some coffee, uh, sir or ma'am. Uh, I want to tell you about something. Or if you're already in a Starbucks, it's a good time to begin a conversation. 
But after that conversation, set up some time to hang out with them a little bit, get to know them. It's so much easier to share Jesus with people that you're in relationship with. Amen? The third thing I want you to do, share your personal story. Who was born saved? If you raise your hand, I'm going to sell your neighbor to get away from you because the lightning is going to hit you directly. Who's free of sin? If you raise your hand, I'm going to tell your neighbor to move because the same thing is going to happen. We all have a testimony. We all have a story in how we were introduced to this loving and warm and compassionate relationship with this man called Jesus. We all have a story of how he pulled us out of a mess and saved our lives. We all have a story of how wonderful it's been to experience this intimacy with Jesus. We all have a story on how we got to where we are today. Share your personal story. You know, I've, I've introduced more Muslims to Christ than, than I can imagine. More people. I love talking with brothers who are five percenters because I know five percenters. I was a five percent uh, person. If you un- don't understand what the five percent nation of gods and earth is, it's a, a break off of the nation of Islam, but it's a little bit more radical. And uh, I was a part of that. And then eventually I became a Sunni Muslim so I could speak on both sides. And, and so when I speak to these brothers, I love talking to them because I could tell my story. They're like, man, well, how did you, you know, what, what, what you like about Jesus? And the only thing I could explain is that, man, I feel free. I can't explain it. I feel uh, lifted up. I feel like I don't have anything holding me back. I, there's a certain thing on the inside of me I can't even explain. So it's got to be Jesus. There's a certain thing that's happened in my life that Islam didn't do, that the 5% nation didn't do, that, that uh, Yoruba religion didn't do, or anything else I was trying to figure out and study on my own couldn't do. There's something a lot different on the inside of me. And the only thing I can attribute it to is my relationship with Jesus. Amen? And so oftentimes I just share my story. And they said, man, well, what, 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 you know, what, what made you stop? I says, well, I'm going to tell you what happened. I had battled depression in 1999, and I was just a mess of a person, just a big old blob of mess of a person. And I went to church uh, for the first time in a long time with my mother, who, who had begged me to go to church. And I went there, and, and, and the pastor was literally talking to me. It was about 3,000 people in that room, but I felt that he was having a conversation with me. He knew my business. And, and, and all of a sudden, I began to weep uncontrollably, and I couldn't explain why, because I'm not a punk. And Daddy said I shouldn't cry for no reason. And so I was wondering why I was weeping the way I was weeping. And suddenly, he did an altar call, and something was burdening me to go up there. And I knew that uh, I was really burdened with something, but I knew I didn't want to go up there because I don't want them to know my business, even though the pastor was telling my business and he didn't even know me. And I was just, next thing you know, I was drenched in sweat and tears and at the altar weeping with the mic in my hand testifying. And the only thing I can attribute it to is Jesus. Nobody put a gun to my head. Nobody kicked me in the butt. And I said, you know what? And, they, and they'll ask me, well, that was it. And I was like, yeah. But Islam didn't offer that to me. 5% nation didn't offer that to me. And studying Yoruba religion didn't offer that to me. But when I went to church and that pastor spoke my business and didn't even know me, and it sounded like he even said Broderick, but that just may be me. I knew that transformation had happened and I would never be the same again. And that is a real story. So I share my faith. I share my story with everybody. Let me give you the fourth thing, and then we got to move on. I got some other stuff I want to share with you. Here's the final thing, and this is where we often drop the ball. 
Why? Because we're afraid that they won't like to hang where we like to hang. And this is what we don't do. Give a personal invitation. Can I say I'm guilty of that? Like when I'm out, people always ask, man, where's your church at? Oh, it's in Mableton, man. We meet in the school. And first thing I do, start offering excuses. We, we small and we don't really have a big worship team. And I'm guilty. I mean, your pastor's guilty of it. I feel that they're not going to like the church setup that we're in. I feel sometimes that they're not going to enjoy the fact that we are heavy on the African-American side. But you know what? I still share it. It's uncomfortable. It's not cute. It's not pretty. But I say, hey, here's our church. We are who we are. I tell you what, it may not be the prettiest place in the world. I tell you what, we may be heavy on one side in terms of our race and culture. But I tell you one thing, at the end of service, nobody's rushing out the door. At the end of service, we're kicking it. We're hanging out. I don't force them to. I says, we tear down, put stuff away, and they still talking. I got to tell them to go because we got people, we got, we, we paying people to be here. The longer y'all stay, the more we got to pay. <laughs> Amen. Y'all pay for it. <laughs> but that's community. Huh? It's like, bro, I, I don't want to leave yet. Let's continue this conversation. And some people, like the Mosuls, they always like go eating stuff. <laughs> yeah, I put them on. Look at him shaking his head. <laughs> Because we love being around each other. This is a real authentic community. So I stopped talking about the negative and I talk about, I tell you what, you come check us out. No, I don't got no hoop. I have to tell that to black people. People always want to know if you, got, if you got a hoop. Black folk want to know if you got a hoop. You got a hoop, pastor? I don't got no hoop. I got a hula hoop. But I don't have no hoop. Now, I would like to have one. So when I go to, to the old Baptist churches, what? Ron said, no. I want one though, man. I'm going to try. I, confession. And I'm getting off topic, but I got to get back on. I've practiced hooping. I don't care. Judge me if you want. I've practiced it. And it's horrible. Huh? I can't give you no example. No, no, no. We got, we got, we got ground to cover here. <laughs> it's horrible. Let's just say, uh, you know what a hoop is? Okay. So a hoop, I'm just going to, no, no, Alex, I'm not going to do it. No, look at that. <laughs> you don't know what it is. A hoop is. Okay, if you grew up in the Baptist tradition, I'm not going to do it. Okay. No, stop. Y'all stop it now. Y'all going to laugh at me. And this is on a podcast. I can't do that. People ain't going to come for sure. But a hoop is like a, if you've ever been to a traditional uh, Baptist church or, or, or Pentecostal church, the pastor's preaching, he gets to a point where he's at, 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 at the meat of his sermon and he gets to, and the Lord said, ah, and I want to tell you, you got to testify today. Ah, and I'm going to tell you something, ah, my brother right here, ah, slap your neighbor and tell him, ah, ah, God got something in store for you. Ah, oh, Lord, ah, <laughs> All right, that's enough. Stop, stop. I'm out of character. I'm sorry, Dr. Simmons. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's a hoop. You've seen that before, right? I practiced that. I, I, and I don't like how I look doing it. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> okay, so moving on. We're past the hoop. There are some people that's going to listen to the podcast and they're going to just keep playing that part right there. They're like, oh. Okay, so a great example of the importance of diversity 
is, 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 is modeled with the early church in the book of Acts. If you look in the book of Acts, watch this. I'm going to read this to you real quick. It's not in your notes. Acts 2, 5 through 11. It says this. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. Dig this. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Now, here's the part where it gets good. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, uh, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya, uh, of Libya around Cyrene. Visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judeans, to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. Wow. The early church, all of these people worshiping together, hearing the good news. The early church got it. But when did we drop the flipping ball and become the most segregated time in church at 11 a.m. on Sunday morning? When did we get to there? When we started off on the right foot, all of these nations, all of these people, different backgrounds, we started off on the right track, and all of a sudden we've dropped the ball, and it's no longer a priority to focus on diversity. And I say, how did we drop it and come so far away from the truth? How and when? It kills me. It's very important. Let that be our model. Here's the thing I want to offer to you, and we're wrapping it up here right now. As Christians, we gave some instructions on how you reach people and go after people who don't look like us and be intentional about diversity. But you can't do that until you get outside of yourself and understand your true identity. Let's, let's use this scripture as our reference point. Colossians 3, 1 and Colossians, Colossians 3, 11 says this. Since you've been raised to a new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Colossians 3.11. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. What is our identity? When we've been raised to a newness, here's some notes I want to share with you. Your race or culture are not your primary, primary identity. Your race and culture are not your primary identity. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are Jew or Gentile. Let me fix this. When you become a Christian... You don't suddenly become translucent. In other words, I'm Christian. You don't see that I'm black. I'm a Christian. You don't see that I'm white. I'm Christian. You, what do you mean I'm black? No, I'm Christian. What do you mean I'm Haitian? No, I'm Christian. No, no, no. You don't suddenly become translucent. You still are the person who God created you in the skin that you're in. But that is not your primary identity. 
Because we've been raised to new life with Christ, we have a new ethnos, a cultural nationality or identity. However, not void of our racial uh, identity. It's not void of that. We're new creatures, but we're not void of who we are. God created us in the skin that we're in. Here's one thing I want to share with you. We should embrace all of the beautiful and redeemable things of our natural self under the headship of Christ. Embrace your blackness. Embrace your whiteness. Embrace your Latinoness. Embrace your Haitianness. Embrace all of those things, the, only the, re, the beautiful and redeemable things, under the headship of Christ. Why? So that cooperatively, all of us together, we create something more beautiful than we could have singularly. I, I, there's a, a thing that, that, that they do is called the Sankofa journey. And, and, and what happens is you have, it's, 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 it's a several week uh, process and you have to do it with someone of a different race. And what it does is take you all on a journey through the South and you go through Birmingham and you, you get to see where they marched at and you stop at these different civil rights museums and you have to be, have dialogue with the person that is not of the same race as you about how they're feeling at that time. And what happens is you begin to respect each other on a whole nother level. Now I'm past your whiteness, you're past my blackness, I'm past your Hispanicness, you're past my blackness. Now let's focus on Christ. And let's take those beautiful things of your race and culture and let's take those beautiful things of my race and culture and let's bring them together corporately so that we can create something far more beautiful than we could have done singularly. There's so much you could do uh, as a black church and so much you could do as a white church, but if we bring all of this together and become one beautiful church, we can accomplish way more. We can accomplish way more. The second thing uh, I want you to understand is that your religious, your religious pedigree is not your primary identity. Your religious pedigree is not your primary identity. In other words, I don't care how saved you are. I don't care how many uh, uh, degrees you hold in religious studies. I don't care uh, if you've gone as far as a doctorate program. Uh, your religious pedigree is not who you are. I don't care if you are a PK or a pastor. Your religious pedigree is not your primary identity. I don't mind being called pastor, but Broderick is just fine. Because I am not pastor, I am Broderick. And if you hold pastor over my head, you hold me to perfection. And if I mess up, you're going to judge me accordingly how you hold that title over me. Call me Broderick, and so when I mess up, you can come to me as Broderick, not pastor. Amen? You are not, your, your primary identity is not your religious pedigree. I don't care how long you've been in the church or how long you have not been in the church. A lot of times we don't think we're worthy because I didn't grow up in church, whatever. Let me tell you something. Neither did I. Paul is a great example of that. So we read circumcised or uncircumcised in, this, in, in Colossians. That has everything to do with your religious pedigree. Paul, if you understand his story, he was a Pharisee. He's, he's a direct descendant of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, he's a deep brother. His religious pedigree was up here, and he had a little bit of money. His religious pedigree set him up to be who he was. He was killing Christians. 
But at the end of the day, in Scripture, in the Bible, he even says, none of that even matters. My whole focus is on making Jesus famous. I'm paraphrasing that. But in essence, that's what he said. I know I come from the tribe of Benjamin. I know that I have all of this religious pedigree. I know the Torah uh, back and forth. I knew it way back when I was 12 years old because it was a requirement. But that doesn't identify who I am. Because he later on says, I am a slave of Jesus. I'm a slave of him. I serve him. He is my master. Bump the religious pedigree where, I, where they were my leaders. No, I'm a slave to Jesus. Your religious pedigree does not make you up. You can find that scripture in Ephesians 3, verses 1 through 6, by the way. Third thing I want to offer, and this is it, your social status or class is not your primary identity. Your social status or class is not your primary identity. Where it says here in Colossians, barbaric, uncivilized, slave, or free. I don't care if you are rich and you live in the most uh, beautiful gated community in Atlanta or if you live in the projects down the street here. Your uh, social class, social economic status is not your primary identity. Get that out of your head. You are entitled to the same things. And if you begin to think that my first identity is of Christ, it doesn't matter how much I got in the bank or how much I don't have in the bank. It doesn't matter what degree I hold or what degree I wish I could hold. It doesn't matter what my skin looks like. I can go anywhere because I am first a Christian. Then I'm black. Then I'm white. Then I'm male or female. Then I have a little bit money. Then I'm a doctor or, or, or a student. None of that matters. And once you get that out of your head, then you can focus on reaching people intentionally that don't look or sound or live where you live or look like you do. Then you can begin to reach, teach, serve, and love people where they are, how they are, regardless of who they are, with the life-giving message of Christ. I want to read this quote from a local pastor whom I really respect, phenomenal pastor locally here in Atlanta, brother by the name of Leonce, Pastor Leonce Crump of Renovation Church. He's big on diversity. He has one of the most diverse churches in the city of Atlanta, um, and he's about 60-40 in terms of the split of, of racial stuff. He's, he's diverse in terms of social economics and education and finances and all of the above, uh, age and all of that stuff, so very diverse. He says this, and, and then we're going to end here. We become new ethnics when we come to follow Jesus and are transformed by the gospel. We are striving as Christians to be freed from the bounds of prejudice, fear, and hangups of simply being identified by our race, class, or culture. We long to become a new ethnos altogether, a beautiful tapestry of God's creation called and chosen by him for something bigger than ourselves. Reach, teach, serve, and love is the mission of Mosaic. And I invite you all on this journey. 
thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that Pastor B said something that moves you closer to Jesus. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, we would like to invite you to follow us on social media at Mosaic Mableton and visit us on our website at wearemosaicchurch.org. You can learn more information about our church, ways to support our ministry through financial donations, stay updated on upcoming events, and find resources to support your spiritual journey. We would be delighted to welcome you in person on Sunday mornings to worship and connect with others. Our doors are always open to those seeking a place to grow and explore their faith. Thanks for tuning in and may God bless you on your spiritual journey.